You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Thanks, Dale. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Uh, If you're new to Seabreeze, my name is Bevan. I'm the senior pastor here, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Today, we're wrapping up a four-part message series called The Financial Squeeze. We're doing this series because, as you are well aware, uh, our nation is experiencing the highest inflation rate in over 40 years. And so everyone is feeling the squeeze to some extent. And in this series, we've asked the question, so what is God up to in our lives in the middle of a squeeze, a financial squeeze like this? Our theme verse is Isaiah 46, verse 4. This is what it says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This is God's standing offer to help us navigate the challenges of life. But there are conditions that are attached to God's offer to help, particularly when we face uh, financial challenges. And we've been looking at these, and we've looked at three so far. These are the three we've covered. We began by looking at uh, the requirement God has that we carry our own load, that we bear responsibility for our own lives in significant ways. And then we turn our attention to the need to choose contentment. Basically, this means we, we look at what we have, the resources God has granted us, and we rein in our spending within the limit of what we have. And we thank God for what we have, even though we might want more. Third one we looked at last week was calm my emotions. Our temptation whenever we face a financial squeeze is, is to worry as we look to the future. Jesus taught us that actually worry is an invitation to make sure that our priorities are lined up correctly and that we can seek him first. And then he helps us with all the other needs. Today we we close out by looking at the last condition, and that is commit to generosity. Now, the first three have all made sense. If you told these to anyone, they would say, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That's good advice. But not this one. This one just is counterintuitive. You might be thinking, so... Wait, so we're talking about how to survive the financial squeeze, and God is suggesting that we give resources away? How does that work? How does that help the financial squeeze? Seems the opposite of what we should do at a time like this. I mean, you would think that God would say, hey, everyone, the financial downturn has got everyone scrambling, so just hunker down, hold on to what you have, because you really might need it. And rein in your, your giving, rein in your generosity. And, uh, and then when things open up again, then you can get you know, back into that, that good thing of, of giving and being generous. But that is not God's perspective. God actually sees this as an opportunity to lean into generosity, which, again, is counterintuitive. This is what Jesus said in Acts 20.35. The Apostle Paul repeats what Jesus said as he's speaking to some of the churches in this book. And this is what he says, simply this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that's one of those things where you hear, it's like, that sounds good. But then you think, really? I remember hearing this as a kid, particularly before Christmas, and I thought, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's actually more blessed to receive than it is to give. And that's kind of the baseline understanding we have. The word blessed means to be happy and well off on the inside. That's the condition of being blessed. Now, the cause of blessing is God. He is the one who blesses. He's the one who blesses us. When he sees someone working on generosity, on increasing their giving, he responds by blessing them. 
So a financial squeeze may seem like the worst time to work on your generosity, but actually, it's one of the best times. It's a perfect time. Because it's in the squeeze that we learn once again how fickle money is and how fading is the happiness, happiness that it promises. So the squeeze is, is an opportunity for us to <clears throat> turn our attention towards the God whose blessing never fades, never is affected by inflation. Recently, I came across a book <clears throat> written by two sociologists from the University of Notre Dame. It's not a Christian book, but it's very interesting. It's called The Generosity Paradox. And in this book, they study the effects of generosity in the lives of 2,000 Americans. And they discover that what the Bible teaches on generosity really shows up in people's lives. And they don't say this, but that's the summary of the book is all the blessings that God promises really shows up. I want to share with you just a couple of quotes from this book because it's very interesting. This is the first quote. They say in one page, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we ourselves move towards flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, which is what we're going to be talking about. It is a sociological fact. Another interesting point in the book is they found a significant difference between those who give one-time gifts to those who have a, a pattern, a practice of generosity. Here's what they say about that. Regular practices of generosity that are repeated over time and involve some amount of ongoing intention and attention have the capacity to form people in ways that increase their happiness in life. This is their, their findings in their surveys. They also... Look at those who are not generous, those who, who really don't give. And their conclusion is that when we grasp after the things in this world, we end up losing, not holding on to and hanging. They say grasping, we lose. The word they use for a person who isn't generous is the word miser. And they make the connection many people have made that it's no coincidence that the, the word miser is the root of the word miserable because it really shows up. When you hold on to what you have and you're not going to give it away, you actually become miserable, not happy. But just because the Bible teaches this, and just because a, a couple of Notre Dame academics say this is the case, that doesn't mean we're going to do it. And the reason we struggle to be generous, all of us, is that we struggle to really trust God. God is the one who makes this paradox true. We can observe it, scratch our heads, but God is the one who makes this paradox true. If there is no God, or if that God is not involved in the details of life, then it's every man, woman, and child for themselves, scrambling to get what they need and what they want. But if God himself is real, and he is involved in the details of life, then pleasing him is the key to happiness. The final act that was signed into law by President Abraham Lincoln before he was assassinated in 1865 was the act that put in God we trust on our money. This was his final act as president, signing into law. He, uh, together with Congress, passed the law that said the words in God we trust should be inscribed on all of our national coin. Why? Well, the Civil War had ended, but the nation was in no way 
a union. Divisions were deep. There had been two currencies, the Confederate currency, federal currency. Now the nation was coming together. The nation was impoverished by this war. The individuals of the nation were impoverished by this war. And Lincoln knew that the future was far from certain. And as everyone was scrambling to rebuild their lives and figure out how to survive in this new union, he wanted a statement put on the money that everybody was going to have to use to remind all of us that the future is not dependent on our money. It's dependent on God himself. That's why to this day we have on our money the words, in God we trust. He, together with Congress, decided to put an asterisk on our money, reminding us that no amount of money can ever replace our trust in God. So how do we know if our trust in God is actually greater than our trust in money? Well, you follow the money trail. Money does not lie, particularly your giving. Generosity is an indicator of trust because in order to give some of what you have, especially in a financial squeeze like this, you have to trust that God is going to take care of you because you might need that money that you just gave away. In the Old Testament, there's a small book near the end of the Old Testament called Haggai. It's just two chapters long. If you're looking to read one book in the Bible, this is about as short as it gets, two chapters long. In this book, God's people had conquered, been conquered and sold into slavery, and now in history, they're returning to the land with instructions to rebuild the destroyed temple of God. But as you can imagine, they don't have a lot of money. I mean, they are recovering slaves. They are trying to build a new life for themselves and their families in this land. And so the two books are divided into two sections. Section number one, I, I refer to as the not now section. And section number two is the now section. We're going to look at both of these sections today. These are the two points of our outline this morning. These two themes, they represent the dominant themes that are behind our struggle to trust God and be generous. Theme number one, when we say not now. In other words, we look at our finances and we tell God, it's not a good time right now. Not now. This is not a good time to be generous. This is what they did in the book of Haggai. Haggai verse 1, or chapter 1, rather, verse 2, says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. So God has said, I want you to rebuild my temple. And they're saying, it's not a good time for us. Not now. Why is it not a good time? Well, because they don't have the extra money it takes to put towards something like this, to rebuild a temple. If they start contributing to the work of God, then they're not going to get their farms ready the way they would like to. And they're not going to be able to build their houses for their families the way they would like to, or they might not be able to complete them at all if they start giving to this. So their plan is a logical one. Their plan was, well, let, let's get our farms up and running, make sure we've got all of that taken care of. Let's, let's get our houses built so our families are protected and are taken care of. And then once we get that all going, then we can turn our attention to building the temple. It's not that we don't want to do this. It's not that we're not going to ever give. It's just not a good time right now. So that's their plan. Here's God's response in the next verses, verses 3 through 6. 
Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Well, this house, he's speaking of the temple, remains a ruin. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That's what inflation does. What God is basically saying is, okay, that's your plan. Now, for several years, you've been on the let's take care of myself plan, and then we'll become generous. So let's pause, do a snapshot evaluation. How's it going? Give careful thought to your ways. God is saying, what's happening, what you're experiencing isn't just happenstance. Why do you think things have not worked out the way you planned? Were they doing the wrong things to get the results that they needed? No, they were doing what should work. You know, if you want a big harvest, what do you need to do? Plant a lot of seed. That's what they've been doing. If you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If you're cold, well, go put on a sweater and get it, you know, put more clothes on. If you earn money, you want to keep it safe. Put it in a purse, put it in a savings account, put it in something. But what's actually happening as a result of their correct efforts? They've planted a lot, but the harvest is way smaller than it should be. They're, they're never having enough. They're eating, but they're never full. They're, they're drinking, but they're never quenched. They, they put on clothes, but they're still cold. They don't have enough to wear. Because the purse that they put their money in, God's punched holes in the bottom of it. Why? Well, they had decided that giving to God was optional. They had said to God, not now, and so God was saying to them, not now. Well, that sounds kind of mean. Is God just being spiteful? No, God is doing this to teach them the connection that is so hard for us to see that the resources we have flow through the hands of God. We may say that, but we struggle to actually think that's true. We think that our resources are entirely our own doing, or maybe the doing of our government. But God is not really that involved. God says, I want you to see how involved I am. I want you to understand this. You know, as a, as a husband and as a parent, there have been times... <clears throat> in our married life and with our kids when they were at home, where we had to spend money to address the medical needs. You know, that, that's not uncommon. That happens. Oftentimes, whenever a medical need would come up, whether it was my wife or the kids, you know what my first thought was? Oh, not now. You know, it, we need to go to urgent care. Really? Are you sure? I mean, if, if you're coughing up blood, I wouldn't question it, but how painful is it? Because I'm thinking, ah, man, that's expensive. And yeah, you know, we got insurance, but the copay and the, it's, it's just, we just, you know, not now. Now's not a good time. Are you sure you feel that bad? So what would we do? Sorry, kids, now's not a good time for this. You're just going to have to squint for a little while longer until we can afford those glasses. No, we never did that. I thought it, but I never told my wife, are you sure? 
Why? Because my wife and our kids are far more important to us than money. So we would repeatedly adjust our budget and do with less. And the point is this. Whenever something is a top priority, not now is never the response. Maybe inconvenient, but you never say not now if the thing you're considering is a top priority. The people in Haggai were saying, you know, now's not a good time. And they were right. But what they were really saying is that there were other things more important to them than God. And this is the point that God is making. You can make that decision, but let's just call it what it is. What you're saying is that giving to me, and therefore me, is not as important as these other things you'd like to get done first. Now, God knows how easy it is for us to move him down the list of priorities. We just tend to do this. If we don't do anything, he will gradually slide down the list of what's important to us. So when it comes to giving, he has given us a very concrete amount to give. It's called the tithe. You may have heard of this. Tithe literally means tenth. Out of all the income that God allows us to earn, we give 10% to him. This works at keeping God at the position he belongs, as a top priority. Now, why does God say this? I mean, does God need our money? Well, yes and no. Yes, in that the work of God on earth always requires money. That's God's design. The temple back then needed to be rebuilt. Could God have just magically fixed it? Yeah. But that's not his general way of doing things. I have a good friend that says, whenever God's, God starts working, my wallet has to come out. And that's really true. That's the way the work of God advances. In the Old Testament, the work was centered in the temple. Since Jesus, the work of God is now centered in the local church. So then the tithe was given to the temple. Now the tithe is given to the local church, whatever church you're a part of. So, yes, in that the work of God advances as we give money, but no, God doesn't need our money in that he needs our money to accomplish what he wants done. He will accomplish what he wants done. He will move other people to give. He will go around us if we say, ah, eh, not now. We're the ones that will miss out, not the work of God. He will figure out a way to do it somewhere different. The deeper purposes of generosity, and the tithe in particular, is for my heart, your heart, to learn how to put our trust in God. Like it says on our money, in God we trust. You know, one of the, the blessings that come with generosity is that generosity changes us. This is the sub-point under point number one. This is a lesson that we learn from a generosity example in the New Testament. In 45 AD, a famine that history shows lasted about five years struck Palestine. And so the church in Jerusalem, which is right in the middle of Palestine, was struggling to survive. So the Apostle Paul, who had started many of the first century churches around the Mediterranean basin, he asked these other churches around the Mediterranean to give to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. 
And he writes to one of the churches in Corinth and tells them about the generosity that he has observed in the churches that were in the Macedonian region of the Roman Empire. And Paul identifies the impact that generosity has, that he's seen it have on this church as an encouragement to the church in Corinth as they consider whether to give or not. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. He says, And now, brothers, we want, to, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You can just imagine, as he describes these churches, the timing couldn't have been worse for the Macedonian churches because he describes them as being under severe trial. In the first century, what this meant is they were under persecution, often hiding for their lives. You would think generosity wouldn't even be on the table if you're under persecution. Not only were they under extreme trial, they were facing extreme poverty. They were struggling just to make ends meet. But out of this group welled up two things that don't belong on a list that starts with severe trial and extreme poverty. What were those two things? Rich generosity and overflowing joy. Now, what's interesting to me is the generosity adjective describes the amount that they gave. Rich generosity. Not a dollar amount. Well, there weren't dollars back then, but the sacrifice was significant, Paul says, for these people. The joy adjective, though, describes the effect that lingered after the gifts had been given. Overflowing joy. The idea is that the joy didn't end. It, it kept multiplying. It was like a spring bubbling out of the ground. So what continued long after the gifts had been given was this overflowing joy. And that's because <clears throat> generosity is... is like a well, it's like tapping a well into a spring that's deep underground. It taps into the aquifer of God's joy. Giving is close to the heart of God. This is why it's so important to us. You know, we're probably, most of us might be aware of the most famous book, verse rather in the Bible, John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. God is generous. And so generosity is like drilling a well in the desert. Everything around may be dried, circumstances awful, but if you tap into the water table, life, joy comes out of that. It doesn't matter how bad things are on the surface of life. Giving drills, drills a well into our heart that allows us to tap into the deep water table of God's joy. Another way of saying this is giving generates a smile from the heart of God that echoes and resonates deep in my soul. There's a joy that comes with it that is beyond anything else. So that's the first part of the book of Haggai, and a key lesson from the New Testament goes with it. The second part of the book of Haggai in the Old Testament is when God says, now. So the first part was... When we say, like they said, not now. Now we turn our attention to when God says now. What's the big question on the mind of most people these days? How long will inflation last? When will the stocks recover? And personally, 
when are, when's my situation going to get better? Or when will I be able to do these things that I've been planning to do? In short, when are things going to get better? What's the answer to that question? When is that going to happen? Well, what the book of Haggai says is things get better when God says, now. Okay? Now things are going to start getting better. Yes, there's an impact of what the Fed decides to do, and yes, the government has a role, but the biggest role in all of this is when God says, all right, now. Now let's start think- things start getting better. Three months after the scene opened up in Haggai chapter 1, the people respond to God's challenging words, and they start giving to the temple project. They decide, okay, we're going to start being generous. And as a result, God says this in chapter 2 of that book, verses 18 through 19. He says, from this day on, which day? From this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. He's saying, things aren't just happening. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig trees, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Things are going to change. The crops are going to begin to flourish once again. From this day on. What he's saying is, I want you to circle this day. I want you to remember this 24th day of the ninth month because this was the day where you laid the foundation of the temple. Later, you might notice, huh, the harvests are getting better. And it might seem like a coincidence at first, but I I don't want you to miss this connection. It was on this day that things started improving. I want you to see the connection that from that day on, I blessed you. So now for us, 2,500 years later, is there anything in your life right now that you would like God to say, okay, now. Now things can start to change in this way. Now things can start to turn for the better. It may be a financial turn. It may be something else, maybe something relational or something personal. For me, I've always got something, and usually several somethings, for which... I am saying to God, now would be a great time. I've been waiting, been praying, been working. Now would be a great time for something to change in this way. The timing of God's nows involves more than just giving money. I want you to be clear on this. We're not giving so that God will act. He's not some kind of cosmic vending machine saying, well, give me a couple bucks. I'll give you what you want. That's not the way to think of it. But what I do know is this. This is the way it works. He generally will not say now to you when you're saying not now to him. So remove the obstacles. Say now to generosity. So I want to offer all of us a a now challenge. Take it or leave it, but this is my challenge to all of us. Make this day the day that you take the next step in your generosity, whatever that step is. Ask God to do what he did in this short book in the Old Testament in Haggai. 
from this day on, I will bless you. So here's some options to consider. If you're currently not giving anything to God, that's okay. Your next step is to give something. Give a gift to God between now and the end of the year. Just try this out between now and the end of the year. Give once. If you are giving occasionally, well, your next step is to give regularly. Come up with a plan. Build generosity into your budget. Give weekly, give monthly, whatever it is, whatever the amount is, come up with a plan. Start being intentional about your generosity. If you are giving regularly, but you're not tithing, you're not giving the full 10%, then that would be a next step for you to consider. Tithe. Try it out between now and the end of the year. And then evaluate. If you are tithing, then pray about giving a gift beyond the tithe by the end of the year. The term for this in the Bible is offering. There are the tithes, that's the 10%, and the offering is what we give beyond that. So if you're already tithing, pray about whether God wants you to give something additional by the end of the year. Now, if you decide, whatever step it is, if you decide to take the next step in your generosity, I would like to pray for you by name. I'm not going to contact you. We're not going to send anything to you. I just want to pray that God would show you in the depths of your heart the connection between trusting him in this area and his work in your life. So I want to pray for you by name. So if you're willing, let me know. You can uh, use the app. If you've already gone on the app, you may have seen this now button on the top and wondered, now what? If you clicked on it, you already know. But that's an opportunity for you just to click on that and say, yes, I'm going to take the next step between now and the end of the year. That way I'll know and I can be praying for you by name. If you're using the physical cards, connection cards, just write the word now on the back of that card and put it, as Dale said, in the buckets on your way out. You know, another blessing that comes with generosity is that generosity also changes the future. You know, the first sub-point was generosity changes us, but it also changes the future. That's the second lesson we learned from the generosity example in the New Testament. Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, speaking of this generosity challenge that he gave the early churches, this is what he says in chapter 9, verse 12. He said, this service, he's speaking of their generosity, their gifts that you perform, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see, the, the gift, the gifts that they gave looked like it was just going to supply the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. And it was. That was kind of the primary purpose of these gifts. But Paul is saying there's more going on than just you're helping this church get through a, a famine in Palestine. It turns out, Paul says, these gifts were, were kind of like the beginning of, of a cascade of thanksgiving. They're like dominoes. You pushed, you gave a gift, and it, it just started this tree of more and more dominoes of, of thanks to God coming out of this. Many expressions of thanks, overflowing again expressions of thanks. You see, when you give in the name of Christ to his church like they did in Corinth, what happens is you add to the number of voices giving thanks to God. You multiply thanks. How does that work? 
Well, if you're a follower of Christ, are you thankful for his mercy in your life? Yes, we are. So how could you multiply that thanks? You could remember to be more thankful. That's good. But that's, that's adding thanks. How would you multiply? How would you make it overflow exponentially? Well, thanks is multiplied when there are more thankers who are thanking God. When you give to a church, what you are doing is you are giving to see people's lives change forever. The people who have been changed forever by what God is doing, let's say in this church, they are grateful to God. They may not know and probably will never know that your gift was a part of making their joy happen, their thanksgiving happen. They thank God appropriately, not you, not me. They don't come up to us and say, hey, I understand you've probably been given to the church for years. Thank you. That's never happened. They thank God. But we know and God knows that we got a fraction of that action. We were a part of that changed life, that gratitude. You know, we talked last month about the, the kids' building, and many of you have given and are continuing to give to, to that project. One of the things that's happened since we moved into that kids' building back in December is the ratio of children to adults attending on an average Sunday has doubled since we moved into that building. In other words, we're getting younger. I'm not getting younger, but as a church, we're getting younger. And what that means is there is going to, and already has been, families who are being changed forever and kids who are being changed forever because of that. Now, they're not going to come up to you and say, thanks for your gift. They're going to thank God. But that multiplies. That's how thanksgiving, that's how it changes the future. So again, I encourage you to consider making a commitment to increase your generosity through the rest of this year in the teeth of soaring inflation and see how God responds. Take the now challenge, take the next step. Again, the options are, suggested options are, if you haven't given, give one gift. If you're giving occasionally, give regularly. If you're giving regularly but not tithing, then tithe. If you're tithing, then pray about giving something beyond that. Again, feel free to use the app let me know on that or the connection card so we can be praying for you. But let me, let me close by, by beginning the prayer. Let's pray. Father, um, we've looked at what you said 2,500 years ago to a group of your people when you said from the 24th day of the ninth month that you were going to bless them because that was the day they decided to be generous and decided to trust you and give. So now, 2,500 years later, on this ninth day of the tenth month, oh God, I ask that you would say now to those who are taking the next step in generosity, you would say now in some area of their life. And I pray particularly as your blessing flows that you would help all of us see the connection between trusting you and your hand. I know for me, I will never get over what you have done in response over the years. 
and it has made my faith in you real. And I pray, God, for many in this room that that would take place. That beyond the money given, that this would secure in their hearts the awareness that you are real and you are intimately involved in the details of life and in our finances. That's, well, that's a watershed moment of faith. And I pray, God, that you would do that and you would prompt many people to try, try that, test you, and see what you would do. We pray and we thank you for your help, and we pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.